reached out to every news outlet, big and small. This was a person of a position of power. He's known in our community as a philanthropist. He's an elder of the church. A clip from the Netflix documentary, Our Father. Relentless, determined. No way Fox 59 anchor reporter Angela Gnote was going to let this one go. There had to be truth behind that tip she got on Facebook. Indianapolis Dr. Donald Klein's shocking fertility scheme. Not the only voice Angela Gnode has given to Hoosier families. A 19-year-old named Brandon Hole went into his former employer, um, FedEx Ground Facility, and killed eight people. Gnode's interview and story with Brandon Hole's mother was so powerful it earned her an Emmy. Fox 59 Indianapolis Morning Show's Angela Gnode, the serious and the not-so-serious side. Tomorrow is chocolate, National World, World chocolate. chocolate Day. Okay, guys that are watching, this is the after show on Fox 59. Look at these recipes online. Angela Gnote, my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Business and Beyond podcast, presented by PNC. I'm Gary Deck. Angela Gnote grew up in Hendricks County, Brownsburg, loved sports. She ran track and dabbled in gymnastics as a teenager, which may explain where she got her competitive spirit. Angela fulfilled her childhood dream of attending Indiana University, where she became a member of the cheer team during the Bob Knight era. She thought she might want to pursue a career in social work or teaching, but wound up getting a degree in journalism. Her work has drawn national attention, most notably exposing Indianapolis fertility doctor Donald Klein and how he artificially inseminated dozens of women who visited his clinic. Angela has been a mainstay at Fox 59 in Indianapolis for more than 20 years. And full transparency here, we are pleased to call Fox 59 and CBS4 our TV partners. And it is my great pleasure to uh, be joined by longtime Fox 59 anchor, uh, reporter, star, Angela <laughs> Angela, how are you? Harry Dick, so good to see you. I mean, you're on our air a lot. And I mean, I think we go back to 1993, maybe. Okay, I was going to bring that up right off the top. <laughs> uh, little known facts. And I remember this. And as I watch you, have watched you over the years, which I have done a lot, I always hearken back and am so proud of you because I remember when you were an intern as an IU student at Channel 6. It's true. You know what? The One of the things, there are a lot of things I remember, three or four that stand out. One, I was on Duffy's Diner and <laughs> I forgot to do my nails that day and they were all like chipped off. So when I went to bite into a sandwich and my hands, you could see that my nails were like half painted. <laughs> and my mom said, oh, isn't that just like you to like, not be ready to show your hands on television? Oh, that is great. Well, you were on Duffy's Diner. That I'll tell you, I don't think every intern got to be on D Duffy's Diners. That was quite an that's quite an honor. Uh, thank you. Yeah, he was. I mean, we went to I think it was called the would have been the pie shed. Anyway, it was a pie place that we went yeah. to. That's what I remember. Long time hey, ago. You know, at that time. Because you didn't, as you went to college, you didn't uh, have designs on being uh, mm -hmm. a journalist or being in, in a mm -hmm. broadcaster. At When you were interning at Channel 6, was that just kind of when you were beginning to think you might want to do something like that? Well, it actually, I had graduated from IU already. And I then had 
decided it was what I wanted to do afterward. You know, I had met Anne-Marie Tiernan oh. during my mm-hmm. senior year of high school. I mean, sorry, my senior year of college. Yeah, t- tell me about said, that because I, I read about yeah, that. And there was yeah, a, a meeting so, with Anne-Marie that, that yeah, really Yeah, so I was thing. a cheerleader at IU and she came to do a story on, you know, Final Four and kind of the hoopla. And I was in awe of her watching her do her thing. And I was sitting next to her probably with just this kind of look in my eye of like, oh my goodness, this is Anne-Marie Tiernan. Anyway, she said, well, what are you going to do after college? And I said, well, I've changed my major. I was a social work major. I was an education major. I've changed it multiple times. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And she said, well, you could do what I do. Long story short, I went and job shadowed her. And then I said, okay, well, what do I need to do now? She said, you need to get an internship. Well, at this point, I'm graduating from college. And I literally go knock on the doors of Channel 13, Wish, Fox, and I walk into WRTV. And everybody says, no, sorry, um, you have to be in college. And it was Channel 6 said, well, if you enroll back in college, take an independent study class, you can work here from August to December of 1993. So I used that time from August to December to try to learn everything that I could. That is fascinating. I didn't realize that. I, I had thought you were still in college. I didn't know. That's a, that's a great story. And, and that and it got you on your path because I know you had stops once you got into the business, Lafayette, South Bend, Columbus, Ohio, right? Before mm-hmm. you landed yes. back here in, in Indy. What was that? What was that journey, that path like in the early days uh, in the broadcasting business for you? I was very hungry to learn. And I worked a lot of those double shifts that you do because, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I wanted to be well-rounded and I have a drive. I mean, I got that from my mom and dad, you know, if you want, if you want something, you have to work for it. And I would, I remember one card that I got from one of my um, bosses that said, you know, Angela, you'll go as far as you want in life working as hard as you do. And he's like, I, I want to give you these two movie tickets. I know you say that you can't find a date, but I, you know, see if you can find someone to take you out on a date instead of, you know, working these double shifts. And it was lonely, honestly. And um, there was a lot of times that I was by myself, you know, um, working, going through all those different places of living. And I wanted a family. I wanted to be married. And while I was working in Columbus, Ohio, it was two, 2001. And honestly, I, mean, I don't tell this story a lot, but I got very, very, very sad and depressed. I was very, very lonely. And I had just really decided that, you know, no matter what, I just want to try to get a job in Indianapolis and I want to be near my family. And so the job at Fox 59 opened and I got the job here. And then I've been here ever since 20, what, 21 years now. Wow. Yeah. So how was that? It had to be really a, a thrill basically to come back home to work in your hometown, your home area. And at the time, Fox 59 Morning News was very non-news, if you remember, right? It was Cody Stark and Shireen on the scene, and it was wild. I mean, they were <laughs> doing right. wild, crazy things. And I had only been, I think I got hired here on August 23rd or August 27th, and then September 11th happened just a couple of weeks later. And I remember we were in the middle of doing like these golfing segments and this crazy stuff on the show. And I said, you guys there are planes crashing in to New York right now. Like we have to like, we have to switch gears and do news. And I just said, okay, I don't know what everybody else is going to do, but I'm going to just go to the airport. I'm going to be at the airport. And if you guys want me to do a live shot or anything, let me know, but I'm going to be at the airport. 
But yeah, I was I was glad to be here. But wow, wow, have we really changed those early days to now? And I think you can see that in me. I've always been the news. I'm a news junkie for sure. Yeah, talk about that evolution because uh, you guys at Fox, uh, the morning show, uh, you kill it in the mornings, uh, ratings wise, dominant news news program. What, in your view, is key? You have to be lighter in the morning. It's different than yeah. the six or the eleven at night. In your view, what's the key to make making a good uh, good morning news show? First, I know that what people want they want they want to know what the weather is. They want to know if they're going to have any traffic issues. They want to know if there's breaking news that's going to affect them. They want to know kind of those easy things in the morning, what they're doing. And then they want to be met with someone in the morning that is like their sister or their brother or their, and they, and they want those people that they're watching do the news. They want to think, oh my gosh, these guys like each other and they're friends. And I think that the the thing that really helped us in the morning, and I go back to maybe the days of kind of when we really started becoming number one um, was years ago, but, you know, Jim, Ray, and myself, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, but those, the three of us too, boy, when you talk about friendship and really caring and liking the people that you're with and doing your job, people noticed that. And they really knew that the three of us, just talking about us, I mean, there are a lot of things, producers and a lot of things obviously make our, make the show great. But I think that for me, that was one of the, um, the best times and the most fun. And then now with Daniel, the same thing. Yeah. T- take yeah. us behind the scenes in studio, because as you mentioned, you got to have that, you need that chemistry, that, 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 that friendship chemistry, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what's it like in studio? I, I'm sure you guys have fun and breaks <laughs> and all that, that kind of stuff. What's at Fox 59 early in the morning? Well, it's for, well, just like today, for example, uh, I'm taking a chicken wing and I'm eating it. And then I'm teasing Jim while he's doing weather and sticking it in front of his face on television. Yesterday, <laughs> I was teasing the gentleman that it was 610 holding a big beer stein. And I said, chug, 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 totally kidding. And he chugs a beer on live television. And it's, you know, I think we're, I think we do a really great job of when things are serious and we have awful things happening. We are real people that have real empathy, real feelings, but then to be able to not go crazy you have to be able to put things in another side of your brain to also say, okay, right now I also need to laugh because if not, I'm going to sit here and cry. So mm-hmm. I just think maybe more than anything with our producers, our directors and everybody, we all like each other for the most part. I mean, we're not all perfect, obviously. And then we, we have, we're good people and we have fun. What's it like? You obviously like your job. You, you have a passion for what you do, but doing it for that long, getting up early in the morning, really early in the morning. What's what's that like? What what? How, how do you do that day after day to keep that passion, to keep that that fun kind of attitude? Mm-hmm. Getting up uh, with that early morning grind. Yeah, I think there are two things that come to mind. Um, I watched my dad. My dad um, was a four a.m. guy, three a.m. guy, basically his whole life, and he always. I mean, he is the someone that. Anybody that's ever, I'm surprised if you haven't met him. Have you ever met my dad? I'll tell you where I met him. Because I say and you I, probably have. I, I, I think I, I think I remember this story correctly. Back to the internship. Yeah. <laughs> you and I and Dan Wills was a photographer. Uh-huh. And when I, we met your dad, you met your dad and, and we all met him. And the uh-huh. thing that struck me was mm. how proud he was. Mm. Of, I mm. mean, it, it, mm. it. It came through loud and clear, and I will always remember that. So I do remember meeting your dad. Yeah, and I'll tell you, he makes anybody that he meets 
not just being proud of his daughter, but like he'll make Gary Dick like you're the best. You're the best at whatever you do. And man, I love you and I like you. And man, he's just that positive and never complained, always had energy yeah. and his work ethic and my mom's was insane. So for me, it's just, it's, it hurts every morning that I get up. I always, I'm like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. It's, I feel sick in my stomach. I want to throw up a lot of times, you know, when the kids were young, you know, you're, um, I never miss a sporting event yeah. and I'm on two or three hours of sleep, but I'm driven by giving people a voice and it drives me like no other. That's all I, how I can explain it. Well, that gives me a nice entree into what has been an interesting year for you. Um, when you look at the Netflix documentary, Our Father, right? Mm -hmm. And you largely were responsible for that, that story, which is an unbelievable story about a fertility doctor who used his own sperm to impregnate his patients, dozens and dozens of them. And it turned into this uh, a national documentary that that aired and got a ton of discussion, uh, certainly uh, on Netflix. Talk about that and how that all came about, because you were the one who really had that dogged determination and and not giving up to 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 tell that story. Talk about how it kind of kind of came about. Well, I think you know when when we get email, right? We get it's so it's so consuming. We get hit on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and phone calls and emails. And I want to honestly be able to respond and help everyone. And you can't. And it's a it's a it's it's hard. But this particular Facebook message when I when the way Jacoba wrote it to me and I saw it, I mean, 2015, I opened my Facebook page and, you know, here here's this new this this alert notification and the way that she she just appealed to my heart and I believe she had the evidence and not to get too much onto the religious. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm a strong Christian. And I do believe that, I mean, the Holy spirit is something that moves me. I do. I, and forgive mm -hmm. me if, you know, viewers don't understand that, but, and I believe that it was like, okay, and you cannot ignore this. You have to talk to her. So, I mean, I responded right away. We were meeting within two days. She showed me the evidence. I walked right into my news director's office and I said, Hey, I know you're going to think that this sounds too crazy to be true, but let, before you shut me off, hear me out and let me show you the evidence of what she has so far and where I think we can go with this. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was that simple. It was a, a young, a, you know, a woman reaching out to me, pleading with me saying, Angela, no one will listen. Will you please hear me out? And but how, what was the problem? Because it wasn't an easy uh, open and shut case. You had to mm -hmm. really do your uh -huh. legwork and not, not give it. Were there times you thought about, ah, oh, geez, I don't know if this is going to, you know, this is going to be, this is going to play yeah. out. Yes. I mean, in, in fact, you know, we have to be so careful, right? I mean, Dr. Klein threatened me. He said, this is a lie. It's not true. If you do this, I will sue you. I will sue Fox 59. These people are liars. And even though the evidence is in front of you, you're still thinking, well, Khalid, am I not seeing this right? What if I am wrong? I mean, you can't help but be, human and want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to be accurate. I knew that their evidence was at, at, at the very least, Donald Klein said that he would only use a person's sperm three times at the most. At, and then very early on, we knew that he at least lied at that. And there was at least seven children and his sperm or not. We knew that there were seven kids that had the same father. So I'm like, okay, if you're lying about that, what else are you hiding? What else are you lying about? But I was really disappointed. 
my boss at the time would not let us name Dr. Klein in our first story. Kudos to them for making sure, right? I mean, I wasn't mm -hmm. upset by any means. I yeah. did push for it, but I totally understood. And I'm glad I'm not the one that had to make the decision. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't get to name him. And I was like, golly, I know it's him. And uh, I don't know, are we going to ever get to that point where we, we get to name him? And it, we finally did. Yeah. As I read a little bit of the background that you had a meeting with him in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And there's talk of a gun. I mean, Ted, walk us through that one. How, how, because I, I read that and I thought, wow, that must have been yeah. quite an event. Yeah. Well, and that's one where you're, where, you're, where you were talking about my dad earlier, my mom. And they're like, Ange, seriously, you can't just go in there with this man. I mean, what happens if something happens to you? And I'm like, mom, nothing, you know, dad, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be okay. But finally, I did. You know, had had I had multiple correspondence with Dr. Klein via email. Finally, I said, "Hey, we are moving forward with this. Whether you are going to respond or not, I want to give you one last opportunity to tell your side of the story. I want to hear from you." So, long story short, he finally said, "Okay, no cameras, no audio, but I will meet you just face to face, so I can talk to you." Well, really, he wanted to plead his case. He was saying to me that I was going to ruin his marriage. I was going to ruin the church. I was going to, you know, ruin all of these young Christians in the church that looked up to him as an elder. And I knew that he carried a gun because Jacoba told me that he typically carried a gun. When he walked in, I was already there. And my boss at the time had me take a, our security mm -hmm. um, guard with us. And then Ray Cartapassi being a friend of mine, he's like, Andrew, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to sit like in a, in a booth around the corner, but I'm going to be there too. Cause I don't want anything to happen to you. So they were all in there. He walks in and immediately you hear like this. Okay. And I jump because there are these aluminum pans, like three, four, five aluminum pans that, that fall behind me. And, I'm like, you know, like that. and he, he looks and he goes, do they allow guns in here? That's oh, wow. the very first thing he said to me with that gun on his hip. And he said that to me. And I said, why are, do you have one? Are you carrying one? He goes, oh no, I just wondered. And that kind of set the stage for, he then told me he knew where I lived and I thought, okay, what is this all about? You know? And I, you know, when you're, when you're there, you kind of think for a second, there's nothing that's going to happen to me. But then you're thinking there's a person that's sitting across from me that has a gun. There's someone sitting across from me that thinks I'm going to ruin his life. And he's begging me right now to quote, not out him. I would be lying if I didn't say that made me like a little sick in my stomach. Talk about the Netflix Netflix documentary because that got such deservedly so such big play and a lot of attention that came your way. What was that? What was that like? I'll tell you. In the beginning, I wasn't even sure I was going to do it. Uh -huh. They asked me and they said, "Do you want to be part of this? We're doing this documentary." And I thought, "No, I don't want to. That's just that's a lot of what will I say?" I was going through some other things in my life at that time where I was really. Um, I would say angry about something else that was going on in my family's life that I felt was really wrong. And I was concerned about what I would say and mm -hmm. how um, passionate for lack of better. I mean, I, I like to, people call me sometimes um, you know, fierce and a fighter. Um, I'm very, definitely very passionate. And I thought, golly, what, what if I'm, what if I say something I shouldn't? What if I swear right. on, you know, <laughs> the film and then I get put on television saying a cuss word and my kids see me being like, you know, <laughs> anyway, I asked my boss and, and they said, golly, we think you should do it. And I said, okay. And I figured I would have like a small piece in, in it. 
well, I was shocked actually when I actually saw it and um, saw just how big of a part I was in it. How about others? This has to be one story certainly that that uh, you you are uh, proud of and uh, kind of point to as you look at your career. Are there others? You've, you've had what? Uh, one, four, five? How many images have you had? Um, five now. Um, the most recent was on the FedEx shooter's mother. Um, I think when when someone reaches out to me and says, Angela, I trust you to tell my story because I believe that you will be fair. And I believe that no matter what, you care about the truth as far as you can find it. And I want you, to me, that is my biggest honor. And when Sheila Hole came to me and said that I was the person that she thought would be the most fair. Wow. That, those kind of things matter to me more than anything. We have much more ahead with Angela Gnot, uh, including uh, the early years growing up in uh, Brownsburg, <laughs> IU, cheerleading. Lots more with Angela Gnot when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. This twice-daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business Radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Angela Godot, co-anchor, reporter at Fox 59 here in Indianapolis. And uh, Angela, you are a local girl, right? Uh, grew up in Brownsburg. What was growing up in uh, Brownsburg, Indiana like? I, I know when you were growing up, a lot different than it is today. It's really grown into a <laughs> into quite a big place. Brownsburg, um, obviously at the time, is like Lisbon. So I now live in North Salem, and Lisbon is the next town closest to Indy. Lisbon yeah. is a lot like what Brownsburg was. So I lived right off of 267 in a neighborhood, and it was the kind of neighborhood that we could at 10, 11, we could take a dollar 25, and Donna and Paul would let me walk across the big 267 that had the one flashing light. And we got to walk with Jenny Briley and me and go down to McDonald's, which was the only, you know, basically fast food restaurant there. Cornfields, there was a village pantry that we got, you know, penny candy. And then there was the McDonald's. And it was a big deal to be able to get a che cheeseburger and French fries at the McDonald's. That is one of my earliest memories of just being able to, you know, ride your bike across the little park at Arbuckle Park and yeah, be yeah. gone all day long until you heard, you know, the Killian's dinner bell. Those yeah. are the kind of things that, you know, I remember. So sports, extracurriculars, what uh, what kept you busy growing up and through high school? I was a gymnast early on and I also ran track. So our we had the school record and the 400 meter relay for a really long time. And wow, I wow. loved to run. My dad used to he, I mean, I was fast. I mean, you know, for back then, right? And he would put me up against all of the, so I had a um, the football players that lived next door, Derek Belcher, Pat Woods, they were on the state championship football team. So 
So as I was growing up, obviously, when they were younger, not quite in high school, he would say, hey, Pat, I know you're fast, but I bet yet Angie can beat you. So he would have me racing the boys <laughs> in the backyard. I'm talking all the time. It may be running or he'd be like, Ange, she can swim down and back in the pool. Can you beat her? And he would have me racing boys four and five years older than me all the time. And I think that, you know, he, he did that because he wanted me to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I can clearly see that Angela Gnode is competitive. Uh, so I think that competitive <laughs> spirit, your I'm dad. Blaming finds, him. That, yeah, I never I thought say. about that. I yeah. am one of the most competitive people I know. And that's a very good point. It's, he probably made me that way. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, so on to IU. Was IU the only choice or did you look at other places for college? You know, now looking back, I think, is this shameful or is this kind of something to say about the time, right? The only thing, so my mom and dad didn't go to college, right? I, you know, my dad got a degree through IUPUI eventually um, through, you know, electric engineering because he was at, worked on elevators and my mom got her degree. She graduated college when my brother, older brother graduated college, but I only wanted to go to IU and I only wanted to go to school at IU because of coach Knight and IU basketball. And I wanted to be a cheerleader there because I, not because I love cheerleading so much. It's because I love the whole atmosphere of basketball and being part of the game. And I'm sure there are other people who did the same thing. I do basketball, it still is, but but certainly in that era, I mean that was king in, in the in the state of Indiana. You know, it was um, it was special. What talk about? You lived out that dream because you went to IU. You were a cheerleader. What was the experience like? That's so much fun. I mean, and think about it. So I graduated high school in 1989. In 1987, we were national champs. Yeah, national champs. So I mean, I grew up in that. And my grandma Forsey, she's passed away, and my and my grandpa Jim. I mean, that's what we did, right? You, I mean, Grandma Forsey. I mean, there if there was a game on, we were watching it. And Grandma Forsey, we were talking about. Oh my gosh, wait, who, who, you know, that's what we did. <laughs> and to be that was the best experience. Um, feeling Assembly Hall playing Michigan you know, feeling like the whole assembly hall was just going to crumble on you and just chills. And it's hard to explain, but I mean, I love sports. I mean, I'm going to ramble here, but my 20th anniversary wedding anniversary is tomorrow. And people are like, what are you guys doing? And Brad, my husband and I are going to the Dallas Cowboys Colts game in Dallas in December. And then there's a college football, the big 12 championship this Saturday before that game. So people are like, wait, that's what you're doing for your 20 year anniversary. I'm like, heck yeah, it is. Yeah. I love that. And I think my wife, Roz and I, we probably do the same thing. That's uh, that, that's really good. You talk about coach Knight, and, uh -huh. and he certainly touched so many people uh, around the state for so long. And has gone through some, some health challenges when he came back to assembly hall, I'm sure you were watching. Yeah. What was your take on that? Because that was a very emotional mm -hmm. thing, an emotional event for a lot of people around Indiana. It's hard because so many people, they want to give a lot of time and effort to the bad things. Mm -hmm. The, uh, remember this thing that he said, well, remember this thing that he did, remember this part of his personality. And for someone who loved um, the community and loved IU and all of those things because of my family and what that meant, it's just something so different. And my relationship with Coach Knight, which wasn't a close relationship, but it was hey, here are this extra pair of tennis shoes because I don't want you to hurt our floor. So, hey, cheerleaders, can you make sure that whenever you walk on our floor, you protect our floor and wear these shoes? When the other team is shooting free throws, 
you need to keep our fans down. And you know how everybody waves their arms and goes crazy. Coach Knight was like, we won't do that because I want the other team to have every opportunity and every fair chance to be able to hit those baskets. I don't want them being, people don't know those little things mm-hmm. as far as that goes. And, you know, on senior night, you know, for taking pictures with us and hugging us and thanking us, that's different than somebody else's experience of him maybe not treating them the right way. But um, I, I judge somebody by all things, right? But mostly how they treat me. I like you or I talk to you or I have a relationship, not because of how you treated somebody else, but how you treated me. As you think of, of mentors and people who have influenced your life, obviously very much so your, your parents to be sure. Others, any other mentors that stand out or people that have really influenced you throughout the course, uh, even maybe through college into your career? I, I It's so hard because my mom and dad mm. are yeah. the just to the extreme. It just goes without saying, I mean, I have so much respect for them through everything that they've taught me. And my mom going back to get her degrees, she has a master's of social work and she's had her own private practice. And my daughter's now following in her footsteps and she wants to help children with trauma. My husband, honestly, is someone that he's always steady and calm. And I'm the one that's the, (laughs) I'm ready to fight or ready to whatever. And he's always the constant. And I mean, certainly I've worked with a lot of great people um, throughout the years. Fanchon Stinger is a great friend of mine, you know, Ray Cortapassi. Those are two people that just kind, good people that are also, I mean, Ray's one of the funniest people I've ever met. Boy, Mm do we have just so much. I mean, I never laughed harder. Jim, Ray, and me just, it, it was a ball. So yeah. there's obviously a ton of people. And even like early on, I mean, you remember Chris Myers and Chris Ramsey. Oh, sure. Producers at Channel 6. I knew nothing, right? And they came in and said, hey, Angela, just remember one thing. TV news anchors are merely puppets. They read teleprompters. <laughs> you know, remember who, you know, the producers are the ones that, you know, they're <laughs> the real right. deal. I learned my place kind of early on. But yeah, it's got to be like my family's. I'm just so tight with them. And I tell you, my kids, I know it sounds silly, but Ashlyn and Brock have taught me more about Mm. life and how honestly to treat people. They are, I always say it, you two are 100% the people or person that I ever was. Uh, You talk about family. It's obviously very important to you and, and working in this business, which is a crazy business, the crazy hours that you have. How do you manage that because that job of being a mom, uh, uh, you know, a wife, obviously is extremely important to you. What has helped you to be successful at that piece of it? Knowing that the morning show was the only thing I would ever do. Because for me, you know, there's a lack of sleep, but I'm room mom. I helped volunteer on every volleyball, track, soccer, you name it. I was involved the, the after school dances. I never missed anything that they were involved in. And that was the most important thing to me. And then um, helping people and doing the, the, the other was second. Having a husband that uh, totally gets it. And I mean, that guy puts me up on a pedestal and, is, and, and his, we put each other first and like, hey, Ange, what can I do for you today? I mean, he's the guy with, you come home and, and, and my son's like this too. Like the laundry's done. The trash is taken. I mean, there's like, what, what did I do to deserve this? You know? So it's about having just a, um, I got married a little bit later in life. Not really, but I mean, you know, I was almost 32 years old and um, how'd you get, how'd you guys meet? Because I read, so he, funny. I'm he, glad you asked this. Yeah. 
So uh, I had just moved back from Columbus, Ohio, and single as can be, not even anyone kind of in the picture. Brad had been living, he had moved from Erie, Pennsylvania to work for a company here, but he had been here for about a year, but he was moving from an apartment complex to the retreat condominiums in Carmel. And I was moving to the retreat condominiums in, in, in Carmel, and there was a lovely lady named Janet, and she said, hey, Ange, I want you to live in this condo, and I want, because there's a guide that's going to live down here, and I want to set you up on a date. <laughs> and I said, absolutely not. Long story short, he calls me because she said, well, I at least want you guys to get to know each other because I want you to be safe. So he calls me. We have a little conversation. And like two days later, she calls me and she said, well, how, how did that phone conversation go with Brad? Oh, it was OK. It was kind of, you know, not, nothing really. She goes, well, do you want to know what he thinks about you? I said, wait, what do you mean what he thinks about me? She said, yeah, he said, you sound like you're, that you date a lot of guys and it sounds like you're really into your career. I said, ah, how can he tell that from just barely talking on the phone for 15 minutes? Why don't you just tell him he has nothing, he knows nothing about me. <laughs> and then he calls me back and he, we go on a date and then like literally we were engaged six weeks later. Wow, six weeks? Yeah, wow. we didn't even know each other. We didn't even know each other for a full year before we were married. And then tomorrow, well, when, whenever this airs, but it's um, 20 years of married. Wow. Funny. Congratulations. That's a great story. Hey, this is always an unfair question, but as you look at what's next for Angela Gunode, anything on the horizon that you look at career-wise or otherwise, as you see as kind of next opportunities or, or goals or, or things right. like that? There are three things that I think about. Because I, I often think about what it looks like. And I, I don't want to do this forever, right? I'm tired. I'm really mm -hmm. tired. I have a book in me. I hate to mm -hmm. write. I'm a terrible writer. I mean, I'm horrific. And I hate it. But I feel like I'm supposed to. So I'm like, okay. I keep ignoring that. I love everything to do with sports. Could I work at IU someday, like doing something? Okay, I can see that. And if somebody wanted to give me their money to spend on charity, like my dream was to say, okay, and your job is to find the people that deserve this hundred dollars or this thousand dollars. That to me would be the biggest joy would to be able to anonymously like be able to pay somebody's electric bill or be able to buy a van for somebody that needs it. So one of those three things will probably be something that I'm doing in my future. Uh, those are three very worthwhile uh, goals that you have, Angela Gnode. It's been a real treat to have you on the podcast. You're a uh, you're a real pro and and just a, a great person too. That, Thank I think you, that comes Gary. Loud and clear. So thanks for joining us. I hope to see you soon. I hope so. I hope I didn't talk too fast because my mom will get mad. <laughs> you <were perfect. laughs> thanks, Angie. We'll see you. Okay, and thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast, presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.